Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. The title of today's message, God's Purpose for Your Process. You know, this past week, or the week before, I was in Virginia Beach at a leadership conference, and when I came home, as, as usually is the case, when I come home and there's a change of weather or, or uh, you know, heat, uh, I usually end up coming home and I start getting sick. And sure enough, when I came home this past week, I, I got sick and I started f- not feeling well. And, you know, being in a crammed plane with a lot of people and being in Virginia Beach with a lot of different leaders and still following protocols um, from the CDC, I found myself getting sick. Now, I usually get sick around this type of time of year. I don't know if if anybody else um, is like this, but usually around this time of year, I, I usually catch the flu. I usually start coughing really bad, start having body aches and headaches. And sure enough, when I came home, that's exactly what happened. And so we were supposed to launch our leadership module this past Wednesday. And um, I just felt like I, I wanted to be um, extra cautious. And I, I wanted to make sure that what I was feeling wasn't the dreaded COVID-19 um, virus. And so, of course, I went and I got the test and I asked them, you know, what's my protocol? What do I do from here? And they said, well, you have to quarantine yourself for the next 72 hours until you get your test back. And I said, okay. So we rescheduled the team meeting because I wanted to make sure that if I did have it, that nobody else um, would catch it from me. Um, but, you know, the, the good news is the very next morning I got a, a report um, from uh, the test, and it read negative. Now, I, wanted, I want you to hear this. It was the very first time that I've ever gotten a negative report that was positive. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard something in the negative that actually became a positive. And the reality is that you know I'm going to use it as an illustration in the message. The reality is that there are a lot of negatives in our life that we just view as negatives, but in reality, they're positives. They become positives for us. And so when I heard this bad news, when I, heard, when, I, when, I, well, when I heard this good news, it just reminded me that we live in a world, we live in a time where all news is negative almost, right? Just about all news is ne- It's either negative, it's either fake or bias. It's one of those three, negative, fake, or bias. Negative meaning that they just want to show all the negativity that's happening globally because that pumps up their ratings and pumps up their viewers, which means more money from their sponsors. And so they would rather show negative things than positive things because people like, for whatever reason, looking at the negative. Right? And it makes them money. Or they're biased. They're biased in their political view. And so they'll, they'll show you things and say things and elaborate on things that are very biased because they want you to vote in a certain direction and it could be very political and so most of the news that we see today it's either naked it's 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 either fake negative or biased but i'm here to remind you that we've got some good news that god is still sovereign that god is still on the throne that god still cares about you he still loves you still has a plan still has a purpose wants to see you thrive in the midst of all the chaos in the midst of all the turmoil i'm reminded of jeremiah when he prophesies in chapter Uh, 11, uh, when he says that, behold, I've got great plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. And he prophesies, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, he prophesies that in the middle of their Babylonian captivity. And so even in the midst of the hardest of times, you and I could experience the goodness and the grace of God if we learn how to look at some of the negatives as a positive. And I think that's what I want to talk to you about today in thinking about God's purpose for your pro- process. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and then we're going to start filling in the blank with a couple of the main points. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now mind you, the context is Christians being persecuted for being Christians. Now I understand 
that we are not being persecuted today. Let me say that again. We are not being persecuted the same way that they were being persecuted when Peter said what he said. Now, there are other parts of the world, parts of where we've been um, very instrumental in church planning, like in Kurdistan and Iraq, where they are being persecuted by unbelievers because of their faith and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we here in the United States haven't really experienced the kind of persecution that Scripture talks about. Is everybody tracking with me? What we do experience are problems. What we do experience are trials. What we do experience are difficulties, our hardships. And we know, based on what Scripture teaches us, that we are going to experience these things in life, not just the believer, but also the unbeliever. But I want to draw from this, from this portion of Scripture some biblical truth that I believe that we can apply to other areas of our life. And so he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials that you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, somebody say rejoice. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overflowing when his glory is revealed. So then those who suffer, watch this, according to to God's will. And I think that's important. And if you have a way to underline or take a note or circle that in your Bible or on your app, understand that Peter is saying for those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So it's important that we realize within the context of Scripture that what Peter is talking about is the persecution. You're going to suffer because of persecution. You're going to suffer because of your Christianity. You're going to suffer for being a servant of God. You're going to suffer for being obedient to God. You're going to suffer because people are going to come after you and try to kill you because of your belief. Now, in the United States of America, it's very rare that we would suffer in that context. But we do suffer in other ways. And the way that we suffer and in what we suffer is what I want to try to unpack a little bit today. Because you've always heard people say, there is a reason that you're going through what you're going through. And it sounds cliche to say it. You know what? I just believe that what you're going through is for a reason. And the truth is, you are. You are going through what you're going through for a reason. The question is, why am I going through what I'm going through? And I have just come to realize, after the last 30-something years of Christianity that whenever I try to put the why in front of the what, I find myself frustrated. Because a lot of times, God won't show you why, but he will show you what. And when we find out the why, it's usually looking back at what we went through when we get the revelation and go, oh, that's why I went through what I went through. In this message, I'd like to give you five different whys we suffer through what we suffer or we go through what we go through in the process of trouble, in the process of affliction, in the process of experiencing problems. And so hopefully this will help some of you this morning understanding the why in front of the what. And so Peter says that sometimes suffering and problems, watch this, is a part of God's purpose. 
part of his purpose. You wouldn't be going through what you're going through had it not been for a purpose that God has for your life. In fact, a lot of times when we have problems and difficulties, we think God is punishing us. We think God is mad at us. We think we're reaping for something that we've sowed. And you know what? You might just be right. Because whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. You reap what you sow. You sow good things, you reap good things. You sow bad things, you reap bad things. Right? It's a kingdom law. And so, yeah, there are times that we're going to get into trouble, not because God put us there, but because we put ourselves there. Right? In fact, the Bible will teach you and I that God's will often includes a positive use of problems in our lives. And so I'm not here to explain suffering because to, quite, to be quite honest with you, I, I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> like there are a lot of times that like I'll wake up and my knee doesn't want to work. I'm not like, why God? I know why because I'm 50. That's why. That's why my knee doesn't work the way that it used to work. But I don't understand everything when it comes to suffering. What I do know is that God never allows us to go through what we go through by ourselves. That he's there with me, and in many ways, symbolically speaking, he holds my hand through it. And I know that as long as I stay obedient to God, and I do what he tells me to do, that I'm going to come out of this on the other side a lot stronger than I went into this. And so I don't know a lot, of, a lot of the different reasons of why we go through what we go through, but I'd like to share at least five. So number one, if you have your app and you want to fill in the blank, which you can do uh, in the app outline and all the scriptures are there, and we even added an extra section of notes for you to be able to take notes in that. The first thing that I want to talk to you about today, and I won't finish it today, we'll finish it next week. First of all, God often uses problems to direct me. Fill in, direct me. Here's your why. Here's a possible why for why you're going through what you're going through. Because a lot of times God will allow a problem to take place in our life to either direct us or to redirect us. Because God wants to guide us and direct us into his perfect will. That's why he gave us his word. His word is a lamp for our feet, a guide for our path. And so God gives us his word so that we know where to go and how to go about it. Oftentimes we reject God's instruction and we take our own direction and try to shortcut the process. And how many know that sometimes when, when, when you think you know better <laughs> then the map that was set before you, you could find yourself lost or in trouble. And so oftentimes God will use problems to direct me or redirect me. Proverbs 20.30 says this, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Let me give you another translation. Proverbs 20.30, again in the NIV, says this, blows and wounds scrub away evil and beatings purge the innermost being. How many of you would agree with that verse? I'm not saying that you have to like the verse. But the reality is this. Sometimes it takes a painful experience for you to wake up and understand that what you're doing, how you're doing it, or who you're hurting is wrong. And it takes a painful experience for you to be able to get clear-cut direction to how or what you should be doing. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God speaks to us in our pleasure, but God shouts to us in our pain. There's no doubt about it. When you're hurting, God has a way of getting your undivided attention. God allows and uses problems to direct us when he wants our attention. When you're going the wrong way and you're going to hurt yourself 
or you're going to hurt those that you love and you don't know that you're going to hurt yourself and you don't know that you're going to hurt those that you love, what God will do is he will allow something to take place in your life so that he could redirect your focus off of where you were going back to where he wants you to go. And so if you're going the wrong way, God has a way of getting you and I back on track. And the clearance evidence of this is Jonah. Anybody ever hear the story of Jonah? Right? Jonah, which isn't in your notes because it's just one of those other scriptures that just came to my mind. Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says this. Right? It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So basically, here's the son of God. God specifically speaks to him about going to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very scary place. Nineveh was a place where they took men like Jonah and they skinned them alive and they placed them on the walls of their city to let everybody know that you don't mess with the Ninevites. They had miles and miles of skulls on spikes from enemies they beheaded and they hate the Israelis. They hate the Jews. And this is the place that God speaks to Jonah and says, go out to them and tell them to repent and to give their lives to me. And Jonah's like, no problem, God. Let's do this. Let's go. No, that's not what Jonah does. Jonah bolts. He does what a lot of us would have done. Like, Nineveh makes Compton look like Disneyland, all right? Right? It's a bad place. You don't want to go there. And so Jonah gets up and he goes in the opposite direction that God had instructed him to go. And when he jumps on this boat in Tarshish and he pays the fare and they take off, the Bible says that God, read the story, God sends a tempest, a storm after Jonah. Like Jonah wasn't going to get away with being disobedient. Let me say this to somebody that's listening to me this morning. You will never get away with being disobedient to God. I don't care how much grace you believe God has, and he's got a grace that covers a multitude of sin. But at the end of the day, you and I are going to pay the piper. You and I are going to have to stand before God. One day, if not in the flesh, and us being reprimanded right now, right here, in this lifetime, one day we're going to stand before God, and, and we're going to be disciplined for what we did and didn't do, especially the teachers of God's word. Did you know that? So I don't care how much grace you think God has for us. We know God's grace is on us, but God will never let us get away from anything that we're disobedient in. And what happens to Jonah? Jonah's disobedient. He runs from God. God says, okay, tempest. He's on the boat. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version of this. He's on the boat. The boat's getting tossed by these waves. Crazy, right? Everybody thinks they're going to die. What did we do to offend God? Oh, no. You know, and then Jonah's like, I'm the cause of it. Throw me off the boat. No problem. Grab them. Off the boat. He's in the water. He's thinking, I'm done. I'm dead. God sends a massive fish to go swallow him up. We define it as a whale. And in the middle of his darkness, in the middle of the depths of the belly of this stinky fish, he repents. He repents for being in disobedience. And all along, right, Jonah was on his way east, away from Nineveh, right? God sends the storm. They, they throw Jonah off the boat. God sends a whale. And as that whale swallowed him up, and Jonah's in the middle of the whale, repenting to God, when it vomits him up, guess where he's vomited up at? The shorelines of Nineveh. Because God will allow a storm to, 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 to engulf you, to get you back on track, 
to doing what he got, what God called you and created you to do. You and I will not get away with it. And so sometimes you and I can feel like we're being swallowed up by our problems. Sometimes we feel like we've been swallowed up by our situation or our circumstance. And many a times we'll even pump our fists at God and be mad at God. And you shouldn't really be mad at God. You should be mad at yourself. Because God's just trying to get you back on course. Psalms 37, 23 through 24, the Bible says this. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who, the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Listen, God will use a storm to get your attention and will use a vessel of some kind to get you back to where, you, where you're supposed to be. And sometimes that vessel is a person that loves you. Sometimes that vessel is a storm that comes after you. Sometimes that vessel is a message that you hear. But God wants you, to, wants you and I to be living in his will and to get us back into his will, he will allow a storm, a problem, a situation to get you back on track. And so we need to surrender to the process. Another great illustration of this is the prodigal son. Prodigal son inherits all of his father's money. He wants it right now. He, he, he doesn't wait till his dad passes away. He says, I want my inheritance right now. His father gives him the inheritance. The son goes out squanders it, gambles, prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, modern day translation, right? That's what that would sound like or look like. It's an illustration that Jesus uses. He squanders all of his father's inheritance. He comes to his senses, the Bible says, when he's in the middle of feeding and eating the same kind of food that the pigs are eating. And he thinks to himself, it's better in my father's house. It would have been better had I have stayed. And so he repents and comes to his senses while eating pig food. Am I talking to anybody here today? Right? So he, he squanders all of this. He wastes all of it because he wants it done his way, not his father's way. And then he realizes that my way is the wrong way. And I come to my senses in the middle of the most difficult of situations. And I want you to hear this this morning sometimes. God will use a problem in your life, a situation, a circumstance in your life to get you back to your senses so that you know that you know that you know that the decision that you made was the wrong decision, that you need to repent from making that bad decision. Ask God to forgive you and come back to the Father. And just like in the story of, of, of the prodigal son, right, he comes back to the father. The father sees him way off, and the father runs to him. He says, kill the fatted calf. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Put the coat on him. Put the ring on him. Get the chonklas. Put it on. We're going to party because my son was dead, but now he's alive. That's, that's a picture of you and I with God the Father. We've lived in disobedience, doing things in our own thinking, in our own ways. God allows us to go through what we go through so that we can get back to our senses Repent and come back to the Father so we can inherit God's best for our lives. Am I talking to anybody here this morning? So one man said it this way, a problem never leaves you where it finds you. It picks you up like a tornado and it drops you off somewhere else. There is purpose for the process. And so maybe the why behind your what today is, is not that God doesn't love you. It's because he loves you. That he allows you to go through what you're going through because he just wants to bring some direction to your life. Does this make sense? So many times, number one, God will use problems to direct us or redirect us. Number two, God often uses problems to inspect us. So the first one is God uses problems to direct us. Second one, God uses problems to inspect us. Check this out. God often uses these problems in our life for us to understand what's in us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, out of the Amplified Version, 
It says, and you shall earnestly remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you and to know what was in your mind and heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Basically, what that portion of Scripture is saying is the Bible says that God let the children of Israel wander around for 40 years and 40, yeah, for 40 years, and he gives them different tests that he wants them to pass in order for them to be able to step into the promised land that he has for them. But they don't. Not only do they die in the wilderness, but Moses also dies in the wilderness, never inheriting the promised land. Now, a lot of scholars believe that had they have been obedient to God, they could have gone from point A to point B with a matter of three or four months. But because of their disobedience, they find themselves going around and around in circles, not really moving forward, but staying in the same place because they could not learn their lesson. And I think that there are a lot of us here today that go through what we go through because we still haven't learned what God was trying to teach us in the middle of the, of the problem. And a lot of times when we're being tested, it's not because God wants to teach you something, it's because God wants to show you what's in you and what's not in you. It's more of an evaluation than a test. And here's where we mess everything up. And I've done this too, so let me, I'll be the first one to step out on this and say, I've done this. That there are a lot of times that God will tell you to do something and you interpret it to fit your narrative. God told a man by the name of Saul. Saul would be the first king of Israel because the Hebrew nation wanted and demanded a king. Now prior to that, they were ruled by prophets and judges. But in the midst of this, now they want a king. They want a king like everybody else has a king. And so, they, so God finds them a king and chooses a king for them. The Bible says that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else, that he was a great looking man. And this was the man that would be anointed to be king of Israel, the very first king of Israel. Move forward in time. God specifically tells this king by the name of King Saul, through the prophet Samuel, his pastor, he says to him, when you go out against the Amalekites, kill everyone. Here's the word of the Lord. Do not allow anything to survive this battle. Not the king, not the people, not the army, not the animals. Completely and totally annihilate them. Do away with them. Wipe them off the face of the earth. King Saul took that instruction from, from God through the prophet Samuel, right? So he knows what he's supposed to do. He goes into battle. He spares the king. Kills all the, the army. But he spares the king and he keeps the spoils, the best of the best for himself to honor and sacrifice to God. Now, let me, let me draw you into this story a little bit because King Saul did what was right in his own eyes and tried to interpret obedience and it wasn't his place to interpret obedience. His place was to be obedient. But I just thought it would be better if we spared the king because now we have an ally. I thought that if we, we spared the goods, now I could sacrifice this to God. And I thought, that's your problem. You think too much about it. Listen to me, church. God will allow storms in our life to inspect what's in our heart. God will allow storms in our life to direct us, especially when we're in disobedience. God never told us to interpret obedience. He just told us to obey. And I think this is where we get ourselves into a lot of problems. Because, for instance, like when I tell my kids to clean their room, when I tell them to clean their room, I'm not like 
grab all the toys and shove them under your bed and walk away from that. Like if I showed you how to clean your room, I taught you how to clean your room, I told you to clean your room, I didn't ask you to tidy up. I told you to clean your room. So if I come into the room and everything's just kind of pushed to the side just to make it look like I was obedient, that's not obedience. That's disobedience. We do this in life all the time. Because when God tells us to do something, we start to interpret the obedience based on our narrative. Like, for instance, if God told me to give something, right, if I saw a family in struggle and God told me, empty out your savings account and give it to them, like, if I were to go back and go, okay, so you told me to empty out my savings account to bless this other family, but you know that I wanted that new, um, those new Adidas that just came out and I have this trip planned and I have to have that money to the side, so I'm just gonna pull that away from that and I'm just gonna, okay, I now give them the rest because giving them something is better than giving them nothing. That was disobedient because it's not based on my narrative. When God told me to speak out or to say something, and in my head, well, I don't know how they're gonna receive it, and I don't know, you know, how they're gonna interpret it, and I don't know if I have, you know, what they want, and, and I can help them. And God is not telling you to interpret obedience. He's just telling you to obey. And I think this is the problem with a lot of us. I think we've all done this before. We interpret obedience. And so Saul's like, here, let me show you the interpretation of my obedience. I brought this to the Lord. I wanted to sacrifice this to God. The prophet Samuel says, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And what happens? The king, King Saul, starts freaking out. And he's like, 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 take me back with you to worship God. And he's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're not coming back with me. It's not going to happen. You've disobeyed Father God. You've disobeyed him. And he's like, please, please come back with me that I, may, that, I may be, that I may worship God, that I may repent of my sin. And he rips the garment of the prophet, and the prophet responds with, today, God is ripping away the kingdom from you. Someone said that Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's inside of them until they're dropped into hot water. And the reality is, you don't even know what you're made out of until you start going through some difficult times in life. And can I just say that there's more in you than you think there is. Come on, there's more faithfulness, there's more courageousness, there's more faith, there's more of a man or a woman of God than you think that's in there. You just need to stop trying to interpret, obey, and just obey God, and watch God do the rest. Come on, God uses problems not only to direct us, but he also uses problems to inspect us. Here's another classic example. Anybody remember Job? Right? Job is the man in the Old Testament. Right? He's got his wife. He's got his kids. He's got, he's got just like a great business. He was one of the wealthiest men probably to live in his era. Satan's kind of coming back from checking out the world. And he stands in front of God. And God says, hey, where you been? He goes, oh, you know. Here and there. And basically, basically what ends up happening, a short version of this, Satan, Satan's like, like, you know, just kind of roaming the earth, kind of seeing where everybody's faith in you is at. And, and God says, have you considered my servant Joe? Job? He calls him Joe. We call him Job. <laughs> and Satan's like, ah, he only serves you because you bless him. Take away his blessing and he'll curse you. And God, knowing the heart of his son Job, basically says, go for it. You can do anything. Just can't kill him. Could you imagine if you and I had that same testimony with God? That God would just challenge the... Go ahead. My, my servant isn't going to curse me and die. He's going to... He's going to serve me. She's going to serve me. They're going to serve me. Their family's going to serve me. It doesn't matter what you do to them. They love me. They honor me. They have a relationship with me. They're in this, man. They're all in. The Bible says that God allowed Satan to test Job to prove his point. And Satan said, Job serves you because you, because you made him wealthy. 
And God said, no, he serves me because he's faithful. Job 23.10, Job says, but he knows where I am going and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Job 23, 10 through 12 out of the message says, but he knows where I am and where I, what I've done and he can cross-examine me all he wants and I'll pass the test with honors. I followed him closely. My feet, is his, uh, my feet in his footprints, not once swerving from his way. I've obeyed every word he's ever spoken and not just obeyed his advice. I've treasured it. You know, problems in the Bible are often compared to a refining process. And someone here this morning needs to hear this because you're not just going through what you're going through. There's a refining of your faith that's taking place. There's a refining of the courage in your heart that's taking place. There's a refining that's taking place in the midst of the trial, in the midst of, of, of the hurt. I know that it hurts but God is refining you in the refining fire. I know that it hurts, but God is burning away everything that doesn't belong in your purpose or your future. I know that it hurts, but your marriage is going to come out of this stronger than it's ever been. I know that it hurts and it feels unfair, but God is healing you. God is restoring you and he's burning away all the impurities that you've allowed in your life so that you can come into a right relationship with him. He's refining us. And if you talk to anybody in the silversmith industry, when they, when they know that the impurities are, are burned away is when they're able to see the reflection in the material. Listen, some of you look more like Drake than you do like Jesus. Come on. Some of you act more like Cardi B than you do like Jesus. Some of you reflect the world a lot more than you reflect the kingdom of heaven. And God wants to burn away all those impurities in your life because you and I are reflectors of heaven today. Come on. Isaiah 48.10 says, See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Church, you just might be in the refiner's fire this morning. And how many know that the way that you purify metal is you turn up the heat? Sometimes, man, it gets hot. I don't know about you, but I've experienced those moments of heat where God was burning away things in my own life. Thoughts and patterns and disobedience. He's burning it away. Why? Because he's got a plan and a purpose for our future. And when God can see his reflection in you, he knows that you've been refined. So what about the problem that you got in your life right now? You know, God may use it to direct you. God may use it to redirect you. That maybe there's something that needs to be changed. It might be a change of direction. It might be a change of perspective. He might be just testing you out. He's seeing what's really inside. He's doing an inspection on you. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 12, 12, 29 says this, for our God is a consuming fire. So God uses problems to be a part of the process, to direct us, to inspect us, and thirdly, this is the only last one I can get to today, to correct us. How many of you love correction? <laughs> Correction. I don't think any of us really like correction. Like if I'm just being honest, like when I'm driving, I really don't like being told where to go when I know where I'm going. Can any men in the house say amen? Come on, preach that, pastor. Tell it like it is. My wife is the biggest backseat driver on the planet. I love her to death. But listen, if I'm just being honest and transparent, there have been times that I've gotten out of the car and said, you drive. Go for what you know. Because I just can't hear it no more. Like, all I see you is on your phone doing this and giving me directions. And I'm looking at the road. Like, I know where I'm going. And 
then there's the exaggerated, oh, you stopped so fast. Oh my gosh, I have whiplash with all your stopping. Oh my God. And if I'm just being super crystal, I despise being corrected on my driving by somebody who isn't driving and doesn't know where they're going. I don't like it because I feel like I know better. But oftentimes, I've been wrong. And oftentimes, the correction probably end up saving our lives. I may not have liked it in the moment, but probably in the long run, it got us to our destination. It saved us from a car accident. It might have just, never mind. You get what I'm saying. I think a lot of times God allows us to experience some heartache because he's bringing correction to us. Somebody said life is a school and problems are the curriculum. He uses them for our advantage. Psalms 119.71 says this, the punishment that you gave me was the best thing that could have happened, right? The best thing that could have happened to me for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. Does anybody know who wrote that? His name is David. In fact, he was king over Israel. Prior to him writing this, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Not only did he commit adultery with Bathsheba, but he also murdered her husband. And then, out of that disobedience, Bathsheba's pregnant, and she's going to birth their son. God tells David that your son's going to die. David can't take the correction and goes into the time of prayer and fasting in hopes that his son would not die, the child that would be birthed. So he prays and he fasts. How many know that God doesn't waste words? The son died. And I wonder sometimes, because I often wonder this, I was like, man, God, that was brutal. You allowed the child to die because of their disobedience. But then I'm reminded that that child is in heaven with God. Number one. And number two, if you know David's family life, thank God that child didn't grow up in that family. Because one of David's daughters, Tamar, was raped by another one of her brothers and the other brother ended up killing the brother that raped Tamar and then the other brother died and then the other brother tried to rip away the kingdom from David. So David's house was in turmoil. And so what was seemingly bad was actually kind of good. That child didn't have to grow up in that family environment but ended up being or staying with the Father in heaven. But David writes this. He says, my suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. David wrote that after his repentance and disobedience or disobedience and then repentance to God. Here's the reality. God didn't bring that on David. David brought it on himself. And a lot of times we bring drama upon ourselves. Come on, you want to know the why? This is the why. God's bringing correction to you because of disobedience. And God doesn't correct you because he hates you. God corrects you because he loves you. God doesn't correct you because he, he wants you to lose everything. God would rather you lose everything and still have him. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? The correction of God is sometimes heavy, but I've been under it, and I want you to know that it's worth it. Problems are a teaching tool. God uses problems to teach us, 
to correct us. Problems are educational. And if that's, if that's true, many of you are highly educated. In fact, many of you are probably a genius. Come on, look at somebody tell me I'm a genius. I've had a lot of problems in life. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates discipline or reproof, or reproof is stupid. Look at somebody else and tell them, don't be stupid. Asking God why all the time causes three very prevalent things. The very first thing that asking why and staying in the why, it'll often keep you in a state of confusion. Because most times God won't show you why until he brings you to the what. And then looking back on it, you can understand the why. So don't stay stuck on why. Move over to the what. God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to learn? What is it that you have for me? Not why. Why me? Why now? Why her? Why them? Why us? Maybe the why is answered in he's directing you, he's inspecting you, or he might just be correcting you. Maybe that's your why. And if it's your why, I would encourage you to receive correction because he's treating you like a son. He's treating you like a daughter. The other thing that staying in your why will cause is frustration. Not only will it cause confusion, it will also cause frustration. And the last thing that it will cause, amongst many other things, is self-pity. Self-pity. Which will lead you into depression. So don't get stuck on the why. Look for the what. We have to learn how to respond to God's process as, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? Here I am, God. Speak. Your servant is listening. What can I learn from this experience? Maybe God wants to teach you about you. Maybe he wants to teach you about a weakness that's in you. Maybe he wants you to recognize a blind spot that you have and the problem that you're facing is the only way to get your undivided attention. God uses problems to correct us. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures, then we're going to pray. Hebrews 12. 7 and 11, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. But what children are not disciplined by the Father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Proverbs 11, chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights in. So ask yourself today, what is God correcting in my life? Listen, none of us like correction. Especially when we are convinced that what we're doing is right, especially when what we believe to be true is actually wrong. None of us like correction. But I'll tell you what, when God is correcting you, I want to encourage you to listen closely. Listen with the intent of understanding. Because if you do not, you will stay in a vicious cycle of learning, always learning, but never really coming to know the truth, which leads us to a really nasty place where there's a form of godliness. We look like godly people, but we're not godly. We just look like it. So God uses problems to direct us or to redirect us, to inspect us, and to correct us. Next week, we're going to finish the next two. But if I could just have every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to the Lord this morning. I just want to ask you, are you in a season of redirection? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right where you're at. I'm in a season of redirection. God is directing me. God is redirecting me. Maybe you're in a season of inspection. God is inspecting you. And he's allowing you to go through what you're going through because he wants you to see something that he wants you to learn. Come on. 
God's inspecting you. I don't know why I'm going through why I'm going through. Maybe the why is there's an inspection. There's some inventory taking place on me. There's some inventories taking place on my family. Inventory taking place on my marriage. Inventory taking place on my parenting. There's some inventory that's taking place in the way that I run my business, in the way that I, the way that I love people, in the way that I serve God, and what I do and how I do it. Maybe you're in a season of correction. Maybe God's bringing correction to you. And it's not a bad place. It's actually a really good place. It's a very healthy place because when God brings correction to your life, amen, it's because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants his best for you. But maybe, just maybe why you're going through what you're going through is God's bringing correction to you. Maybe he's bringing correction to your theology. Maybe he's bringing correction to your your perspective. Maybe he's bringing correction to the way that you parent your children, the way that you love your spouse, the way that you that you shine your light at your job. I don't know, but maybe God just wants you to experience his correction and he's using what you're going through to correct you. You just need to respond with obedience, not obedience that's interpreted based on your narrative, but obedience that's based on God's truth. And so right now, if that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. I want you to just maybe lift your hands to heaven and surrender. Surrender to the process. Trust God's process for his purpose over your life. As a father over every life, over every mind, over every heart, over every family, Lord, we just pray that you would bring clarity to what they're going through right now. Bring clarity to their plight. Bring clarity to their problem. Father, let them experience the goodness of your word, the goodness of your presence, the goodness of your instruction in this season of life, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that you would be amplified, and that your church, your sons and daughters would grow stronger and stronger in faith, stronger and stronger in obedience, stronger and stronger in what they believe in to you and you alone. Be all the glory, all the honor, all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And the church shouted out, amen.